You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Historic interpreters in big gowns and tricorn hats bring the historic area to life, but there's a supporting cast of characters that's just as important to making Colonial Williamsburg an authentic 18th century town. It's the animals. Elaine Shirley is back with us today to talk about the Rare Breeds program at Colonial Williamsburg. Elaine, thank you for being here today. You're more than welcome. I've said you're associated with the Rare Breeds program. You probably have a bigger title than that. What, what do you do here? <laughs> well, my fancy title is Manager of Rare Breeds, uh, but essentially what I do is take care of the livestock day in and day out, register them, make sure that uh, they're doing well and that uh, we're showing happy animals to the public. <laughs> and we have a lot of happy animals that we show. What, what are the different species that are represented here in the historic area? Well, we have a number of different rare breeds. We have rare breed horses, rare breed cattle, rare breed sheep, rare breed pigs, and rare breed poultry. And so in each of those categories, you might have a few breeds of horses, a few breeds of chickens, Right. We have uh, Canadians and American Cream are our two rare breed horses. We have, uh, in actuality, we have three rare breed cattle, only one of which is actively being bred. But we have American Milking Devons, we have Milking Shorthorns, and we have Linebacks uh, as our three cattle breeds. Uh, we have one breed of sheep, which is the Lester Longwool, one breed of pig, which is the Osabaugh Island pig, and uh, two breeds of chickens, the Dominic and the Nankin. So I want to ask you a two-part question. Uh, why is it so important to have animals in the historic area representing 18th century colonial Williamsburg? And why have we chosen the ones we have chosen? Well, it's important to have livestock in town because there was livestock here in the 18th century. And I think that's something people really don't realize coming from the 21st century. We assume farm animals live on farms. But in fact, there was livestock living in the historic area that we showed. There was livestock living here in the 18th century. There were sheep, cattle, uh, horses and all different types of poultry living in the historic area that we show today. Pigs did not live in the historic area and the pigs that we have are actually over at Great Hopes, which is out of the uh, town limits in the 18th century. Um, and we've picked the breeds we've picked for a variety of reasons. And there are other breeds that we could pick and we're always talking about wouldn't it be interesting to add another breed of sheep or another breed of cattle. And so we're sort of always thinking, um, and chickens are probably the easiest to add because they don't take quite as much uh, work and quite as much space. But we picked animals that are rare because we felt that one of the things we could do here was give them a shop window, give them an opening to the public who wouldn't normally see them, so that maybe one out of a thousand people who come here says to themselves, ooh, I'd sort of like to have rare breed chickens or rare breed sheep or rare breed cattle, and we can spark some interest. And hopefully everybody who sees them starts thinking about rare breeds and why rare breeds are important. 
So uh, the Lester Long wool we picked because we know George Washington had some of them, so they have a Virginia history. The American Cream Draft Horse and the American Milking Devon, the Dominic, all are American breeds of livestock that need to be conserved. So we felt that these were breeds that we could show and hopefully get other Americans interested in. Uh, and that's true of the Asaba pig as well. Um, the Canadian horse we picked partly because of its size. It's a smaller horse, which fits in better with the size of uh, horses in the time frame we're talking about. So we pick them for a variety of reasons. But all centered around trying to find animals that might have you might have found in Williamsburg in the 1700s. Exactly, or animals that people who lived here would have been familiar with. Um, unfortunately, in a lot of instances, we don't have breed information given to us in the 18th century. Lost and found ads and um, uh, inventories will tell you size and color, but they don't generally give you a breed name. That idea comes along in the 19th century. So you have to kind of be detectives and look at these physical descriptions and then guess. Exactly. What, what breeds have you discovered using that, that sort of reverse engineering method? <laughs> well, the American Milking Devon is probably a really good example of that um, because in Lost and Found ads you see color mentioned virtually in every ad. So when they say, gone away from me in James City County, one red cow with a red calf at her heel, um, then that helps us kind of head towards the milking Devon. Red cattle are very, very common in inventories and lost and found. We've talked about um, the animals in our historic area today, and they create these, they add a beautiful sense to the landscape. See, seeing, as you said, they these do? happy animals, these unusual looking, beautiful, healthy animals, it creates these beautiful sort of pastoral scenes. The way that we're using them today is not the way that they would have been used in the 18th century. They, these were utility animals. These were for food or for transportation. Well, they have a job today, and uh, I feel that that they're here as rare breeds, but rare breeds have to have a job because if they don't have a job, there's not a point in having them, really. And so they do have jobs. We have uh, our ewes, lamb every year, our uh, cows, calve, about every year, year and a half, depending on the situation. At the moment, we don't have a bull, and so you have to have a bull to have calves. Um, and we shear the sheep, um, we gather eggs from the chickens, so they, they have a purpose being here. Do you think that the lives of the animals we keep today are different than the lives of the animals in the 18th century? Uh, I think they have a little bit better life than they had in the 18th century. Um, our livestock get 21st century medicine and 21st century feed. And certainly we've learned so much about how to keep them healthy. A lot of things like micronutrients, um, thinking about things like selenium in sheep and the fact that a shot, a one cc shot of selenium can sustain them for a whole year and keep them healthy. Or um, we vaccinate for rabies. We vaccinate against something called clostridium in the sheep. And so those are things that the animals in the 18th century would have never had the advantage of. We talked about the quality of life and the beginning of life for these animals. Do they live out their lives here? What happens to them after they're born and 
calved and lambed? <laughs> well, it depends on the animal. Um, we, uh, with the, the breeding stock, we are always trying to improve the breed, and that's what humans have been doing for thousands of years. Whenever you get an animal, you say, is that as good as its parents? Is it better than its parents? Is it worse than its parents? Now, if it's worse than its parents, you probably do not want to breed it. But if it's as good or better, then you want to continue that because you're hoping to improve everything. So uh, it, when we have animals who do not meet the breed standard, and that tends to, I tend to be much more critical of the males than the females. And that's because when you think of the males, they can have their influence felt so much more. One ram could breed 30, 40 ewes in a year. He could have 60 to 80 lambs born. So his influence would be felt much more dramatically than a female who might produce two or three lambs a year. It's neat for us here in our museum, in our state, in our town to have these animals represented, but it has an impact on a larger scale. What is important about preserving these breeds? It's important to raise rare breeds for a whole number of reasons, but probably the biggest reason is to preserve genetic diversity because we need livestock. We've needed livestock for thousands of years and we're gonna to continue to need them. And part of what we need them to do is to adapt to different environments, to different temperatures, to different foods, to different diseases that might be present. And if we whittle down our gene pool to a very small number of genetic diverse animals, we are whittling down their ability to change and their ability to adapt to these different environments. So we need genetic diversity in plants. We need genetic diversity in livestock as well. So that's one of the main reasons. One of the reasons I think we should keep them, and, and I don't think people really think about this, but if we go back far enough, virtually all of us have ancestors who were farmers. And our ancestors worked very, very hard to give us a really wide variety of livestock. And I think we do them a disservice if we allow these animals to die out. Uh, these rare breeds also typically have very interesting histories behind them. Uh, and so it's, I think it's important just for humankind to have that uh, interest, those interesting things available to us. I got to thinking that we use these animals as museum exhibits in, our, in the living, living History Museum that is our historic area. And I got to thinking, you yourself are kind of a museum exhibit. Your <laughs> trade, your expertise, uh, the care of animals, the raising and you know, husbanding, the care that you take of animals is so rarely seen anymore. Do you feel like this is an expertise that is, our society is kind of evolving away from or has outsourced? Um, I think that's true with all of agriculture. We've really gotten away from agriculture as something that everybody understands and everybody's involved in. Now, having said that, I think we're starting to see a turnaround with people having gardens and chickens are the hot pet to have now. And more and more um, townships and uh, counties are allowing chickens uh, in urban settings again. So I, I kind of hope we have turned a corner. Um, but it, it is a, a 
job that not an awful lot of people are familiar with. A huge part of it is just common sense, to be perfectly honest. You you should look at the animals and understand them when they're healthy so that you can look at them and say, that animal doesn't quite look right. That chicken's not holding his tail quite the way he was. That sheep's looking droopy. So you can catch um, uh, problems before they arise because livestock's pretty good at hiding the fact that they're ill because if they're out on the plains and they look ill, then a wolf is going to say, hmm, that one could be easy to catch. <laughs> when people come through the historic area this summer, as we hope many, many of them do, what do you want them to um, look for? What do you want them to appreciate? What do you want them to see when they look at th this diversity of animals that they'll find here? I want them to see um, their history, to, to think about the fact that if they had lived 200 years ago, they probably would have had a few acres, one or two cows, a couple of sheep, a couple of horses, two or three pigs, and a flock of chickens, and they would have had contact with those animals every day. That you know, the, the women would have been milking the cows every day, the men and the women to some extent would have been working the horses and the cattle in the field. So it it's a tactile, hands-on experience that you would have had 200 years ago. And I hope you'll look at the animals and realize that they really are a living safety deposit box for us in the future. And it's not just us that's doing it. There are folks all over the United States who are doing it. There are folks all around the world who are really starting to realize how important this is. And there are rare breeds folks in Europe and South America and Africa. It's something that joins all of us. Elaine, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Do you have a question or suggestion for the show? Leave a comment at podcast.history.org.